You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Continuing to uh, study through the book of Ephesians. If you're new here or a visitor here, we, we go through books of the Bible. On Sunday mornings, we go through the New Testament. We're in the book of Ephesians. On Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament. And we're in the book of Numbers. And as we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians, we, we know that there's a really uh, simple outline. And, and if you don't know it, you should know it. We, we talk about it each week. But there's an outline for Ephesians where, where Paul in the first three chapters, he talks about our wealth. He talks about all that God has done for us. And then in the last three chapters, chapters four through six, Paul talks about our walk. And in our response and, and what we would do for him. And it is a response. You guys, you need to understand that, that we love him because he first loved us. That we respond. That it's not like, oh man, I got this big burden. I got to do all this stuff so that God will love me. No, we do it because he already loves us. And in fact, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that all these works have been prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it's already done. We just respond to his love and we say wow i'm just going to walk in these things and god begins to do beautiful amazing works through our life and last week we began the second portion of this book and we ended in verse six with paul urging us to work really hard at keeping jesus's church unified he said that endeavor work really hard at keeping it it's already unified you don't have to create the unity it's already there just keep it be a good steward of it Work hard at maintaining that. And now Paul is going to give us some insight into how we can best accomplish that goal, the goal of unity. In verse 7, he begins with the word, but. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. And the word but here is because there's a break in Paul's thought pattern. He's just been exhorting us toward unity. In verses 4 Five and six, he says there's one body, there's one spirit. You were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so he's, he's telling us of this unity that we, that we have. But now he begins to break away from that thought and he begins to teach us about the diversity that exists in the body of Christ. And this diversity exists in that individual followers of Jesus. People who have given their life to Jesus have different gifts. We're different. We're unified, but we're diverse. We have different gifts and different personalities and different ways of looking at things. And and even within the same gifting, there's different levels and functions for that gift. And so there's great diversity. There's unity but there's diversity. God doesn't want uniformity. He doesn't want all of us to look the same, to talk the same, to act the same. Several years ago when I was going to Bible college in Southern California, I was doing some street witnessing and we were in downtown Hollywood, right there by the big church of Scientology, where they, the, the hub, you know, where Tom Cruise hangs out and, you know, all the, all those dudes. And, and this bus pulls up right in front of the building and we thought we'd hang out and just see, maybe we'll have some conversation. This this big giant tour bus with tinted windows pulls up and out steps these two guys that look like they're in the Secret Service. They had the little, you know, earpieces and they had sunglasses on, even though it was midnight. 
and they had just perfect suits. They were dressed the same. They had the exact same build. I mean, these guys could have been twins. They both got out. They stood one on each side of the door. And then for about two or three minutes, 50, 60 people got off the bus who were all dressed the exact same. In single file, they walked into the building. And we just stood there sort of mesmerized. It was just like, wow, what just happened? Was that the Twilight Zone? Was that like a science fiction movie? What is going on in that place? They had uniformity. That isn't unity. Unity is when a bunch of different people who think differently, who act differently, who have different gifts, who dress differently, all come together and we say, man, we love Jesus and we want to see Jesus impact this community. We want to grow in our relationship with Jesus and we want to do that together. And so that's what Paul is urging us toward as he says, look, there's unity, but there's also diversity. He put it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. And so our text this morning, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, we're going to look at two main points. If you're a note taker, the distribution of the gifts, that is the gifts handed out, and the application of the gifts, that is the gifts worked out. And so two things we're going to look at. Let's read our text. We'll go back. We'll talk about those things. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, or he himself gave, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we open Your Word once again, Lord, there's a lot of words here. There's a lot of stuff that probably even as we read it that that we don't understand. God, we, we want Your Spirit to come here and to teach us, Lord. We want You to be our teacher this morning. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts to receive that, Lord, we would leave this place knowing You better than when we walked in. May these truths, these principles, take root in our life so that we would be doers of Your Word and not hearers only. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first point, the distribution of the gifts. Paul is talking about how these gifts are handed out. Verses 7 through 11. He talks about diversity again in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This word grace, it basically means the ability to perform the task that Jesus has called you to. You see, each one of us, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you said, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm not saying that you believe in God, I'm not saying that you own a Bible, I'm not saying that you attend church, I'm saying that if you've said, I want to take up my cross, and I want my life to be patterned after Jesus' life, and I want to accept His payment for my sin, I want to be a follower, I want to be a Christian, if that's you, then you've been given a gift. You've been given purpose. You've been given a calling. And this grace, or it could be translated gift here in verse 7, is the ability to perform that. See, God doesn't say, hey, I've got something for you to do. Good luck. Go figure it out. No, He says, I've got something for you to do, and I'm going to empower you. I'm going to enable you to do it. You see, God's callings are His enablings. God gives you the ability to perform the thing that He's called you to do. He doesn't leave us to drown in the sea of our purpose in life. He says, no, I'm going to empower you, enable you. The Bible says when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And that word witness basically means one whose life is completely surrendered to God. And that's what He wants for us. And He wants us to function within the grace, the gifting that He's given us. And there's diversities of those gifts. And Paul talks about them in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and, and here in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Peter. He talks about these gifts that we've been given. And that's why I ask people all the time, go out to lunch or they come over or I'm talking to them at church. And How long have you been walking with the Lord? Five years, ten years, whatever. And say, well, what is your gift? What, what is the, the thing that you're called to do? And, and oftentimes people say, I don't know. I don't know. And I just encourage them, step out. Step out and see what, what God would, would have for you. And the thing that, that you enjoy doing, the thing that you're good at, that's your gift. The thing that comes very naturally to you. See, you're not called to be a teacher if you can't do it. You're not called to be an evangelist if you're just absolutely stumbling over your words and you can't share the gospel in a cogent way. doesn't mean you're not called as a believer to share, but you're not an evangelist. You don't have the gift of mercy if you don't like hanging out with people that are sick and hurting. You get the point. It's something that comes very naturally to you. That's the thing. What is that thing that you're good at, that you enjoy, that there's fruit? That's the thing that God has graced into your life. And He wants you to use it. Not bury it in the sand. Not hide it. Not be ashamed because maybe there's some things in your life that, that, you're, that you need to work out. 
Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. He wants you to use that gift. And the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He wants to use you in a powerful way. And so, these, these gifts are, are diverse. And they're given to each one of us to perform the calling that God has given us. And then Paul kind of takes a few verses and talks about Jesus. And he talks about Jesus' humility, how Jesus took on human flesh. And he, he emptied himself of all of his divine privileges and he, he became a man. God became a man. That is at the very crux of Christianity. That Jesus, who is God, who never ceased to be God, became a man. I don't know if we think about that a whole lot, but, you know, there's some things that, you know, we all have prejudices, right? There's like things that we say, I would never do. And I would think that if you're God, becoming a man is probably one of those. You know, it's like, I don't think I want to become a man. But God did the unthinkable. God was like the CEO of Microsoft becoming, you know, a Walmart checker. You know, and I mean, that is what, what he did for us. He was willing to do that. He took on human flesh so that he could relate to us. You see, man's greatest need is to relate to God, to connect with God, to be forgiven of the sin that is intrinsic within each one of us. It's part of our heart. Just like we sang this morning that when everything inside looks like everything I hate, that's that, that flesh. We're born with it. It's not a product of our environment. It's something that we're born with. We, we sin because we're sinners. And Jesus, man, He so longed to have relationship with us that He became a man. And He walked on this earth and He, he got hungry and He got thirsty and He got tired. And He was born in a barn. And He had brothers and sisters and He was raised in a, in a little out-of-the-way town. In an impoverished family. And then He was a carpenter. It doesn't tell us a whole lot about his life around that time, but he was just a normal guy putting in a normal day's work, working hard. And then Jesus began his ministry, and he healed people, and he cast demons out of people, and he taught in the synagogues. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders of the day began to feel threatened. They didn't like the things Jesus said about Himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through Me. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They didn't like those things. And so they, they beat Him up. They spit on Him. They drug Him through town. They nailed Him to a cross. And then they buried Him in a tomb and they thought they were done with Him. But Jesus rose from the dead. And He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God forever. And he said it's finished. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he's saying all this stuff. He quotes Psalm 68. You know, he ascended on high. He led captivity captive. gave gifts to men. And then he goes on in this parenthetical commentary in verses 9 and 10. And he's like, this is what this means. He ascended. 
because he first descended. See, Jesus rose because he died and he was put in a tomb. And all of this speaks of his humility. Jesus emptied himself that he might save us and that he might gift us. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And when Jesus rose again, you guys, it says here that he led captivity captive. Now, what does that mean? There's a, there's a lot of different opinions about this. There's people that teach us and tell us that Jesus went to hell for a few days and he preached some sermons and, and then he coerced some people out of hell somehow and, and he paid for the rest of our sins down there. And that's just totally wrong. Jesus on the cross, John 19.30, what did He say? It is finished. Now to me that means the work of salvation is done. Not that I need to go to hell and I need to pay for your sins a little bit more. No, it's finished. It's done. I'm going to heaven to sit down because it's finished. What do you do when you're done? You sit. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now you can call hell a lot of things, but paradise isn't one of them. So you didn't tell the thief, hey, today you'll be with me in hell, just for a few days, then we're going to head on up. It'll be okay, don't worry, it's a little hot down there. No, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here's what happened. Here's what the Bible teaches us that happened. You see, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when people died, they went to basically one place that was divided into two separate compartments, if you will. There was the place for believers. That is those people, like all of the Old Testament saints, who were saved by faith. They weren't saved by their works. They weren't saved because they kept the law. Nobody could keep the law. They were saved by grace. They looked forward to the cross. See, that's why the Bible says, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham kept the law. Why? Because there was no law. Abraham was saved before the law. The law was 400 years later. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God gave Moses the law to show us that we couldn't keep it. And that's why the first time Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he'd just gotten the, the tablets. Oh man, these are great. Five commandments on each stone. What happened? He comes down and they're having an orgy and they're dancing around a golden calf. And he threw the tablets down and they smashed to bits. Why? Because right there, it was proven that you cannot keep the law. Every one of those commandments was being broken as they were being written. It's an amazing thing. The law is there as a schoolmaster to drive us to Jesus. And the Old Testament saints, they looked forward to the cross. They may not have known all the complexities. It was a mystery to them. But they looked forward by faith to the fact that our God is a forgiving God. And that's why they offered all the sacrifices and so when they died, they went to a place that's called Abraham's bosom. And it was paradise. And they just like hung out. But the other people, the people that did not believe God and were not accounted as righteous, they went to a place called Hades. 
Now, you remember in Luke 16, there's a story told, and I don't believe it's a parable, I believe it's a story, because Jesus uses real names like Lazarus, and there's a rich man. And on earth, the rich guy just shined Lazarus on, and he never helped him, and he never gave him even a second thought, and Lazarus was begging for food, and he never cared to even give him the scraps off his table. And then they both died. And Lazarus, he went to paradise. And the rich man went to Hades. And the rich man was begging for just a drop of water. Because the Bible tells us hell is hot. It's a lake of fire. It's burning. And so he's asking for just a drop of water, which tells me that there is going to be eternal suffering in hell. It's not going to be a fun place. It's not going to be hanging out with all your buddies who don't believe in the Lord either. It's not going to be party time. It's not going to be like one eternal kegger. It's, it's punishment. And so there they are. And the, and the king, this rich man, is saying, hey, give me something to drink. And he can't even help him, even if he wanted to. Even if he wanted to, he can't help it. And so, the point of that story is very simple. It's that previous to the cross, there were these two compartments. One for unbelievers, one for believers. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he led captivity captive. That is, he freed all those that were waiting in Abraham's bosom. And he brought them home to be with him. Forevermore. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That wasn't always true. But now it is. Except for those that don't know the Lord and they still are joined with those that are in Hades waiting for the final punishment. Revelation chapter 20 tells us one day Jesus is going to open the books and people are going to stand before Him and they're going to say, well, you know, I was a product of my family or... Uh, I, I didn't know and I, I didn't have time or they're going to have all these excuses and in fact they won't even get them out of their mouth because they're going to know they were wrong and that they had to be in the situation they're in over the dead body of Jesus. They rejected Him. And they'll have to face the punishment for their sins for eternity. That's called the great white throne of judgment. That hasn't happened yet, so they're still awaiting that. But now, we go straight into the presence of God. And so that's what's being spoken of here. And he says that he gave gifts to men, because when Jesus rose, what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit, right? Remember the disciples were all freaked out? You're leaving us? We can't survive without you. Jesus said, look, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to leave you with my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes into our life, He gives us gifts. And He radically changes our life. And that's why when people say, I don't know if I'm a Christian, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if a hurricane blew through this trailer park. I mean, you, you, it either, if a hurricane came, you know it came, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no question. When the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, there's no question. No question whether He's there or not. And so Jesus did all of that for us so that we could have relationship with Him, so that we could serve Him effectively. He gave us gifts. 
He handed them out. And then in verse 11, he talks about some of these gifts. Now, these gifts that he talks about here are leadership gifts. They're gifts that are given to the body of Christ so that, as we're going to see, the body can be built up and can function properly. These are leadership gifts. There's four of them here. Some people would say five. I say four. It doesn't really matter. We'll see why that controversy exists. But the first is apostles. Now, there's some people, TV guys, you know, big hair guys, whatever. They, they say, I'm an apostle. I'm called to be an apostle. I don't know that the gift of an apostle, the office, I should say, of an apostle, exists today. I think that, as Paul says in Ephesians earlier in the book, that apostles and prophets were given for the foundation of the church. Now, you lay a foundation early on, you don't lay another one. It's not like, you know, you know what, we're going to lay a foundation on the roof. And you lay a foundation at the, at the bottom, and then you build up from there. And so I believe that the apostles, the prophets, were there as an office early. And they laid the foundation for the building that we function in today that's called the church. But I also believe that the gifting of an apostle exists. Not the office, but the gifting. What do I mean? Well, the office is like the twelve apostles. They were sent out to lay that foundation for the church, but the gifting, the gifting functions as an adventurer for Jesus, a missionary, a church planter. The word apostle means one that is sent out, one that goes where nobody else wants to go. Remember the apostle Paul? Like he went to places that nobody wanted to go. It's like you're going where? They kill people there. You're doing what? You're going to go plant a church in Corinth? Are you out of your mind? That's like the Las Vegas Strip. And that was the Apostle Paul. He went where nobody else was willing to go. He went places that people thought were crazy. Missionaries. We've all heard of people going to places and we're thinking, what are you doing? There's bullets flying. People die. There's no food there. And people are called by God and they go to places that, that we wouldn't be willing to go. Church planters. Hey, there's a big difference between taking over a church that already exists and planting a church. Now, I'm not saying that taking over a church that already exists isn't hard. It doesn't have its challenges because it does. They're, they're almost different challenges. But a church planter is like an apostle. It's a different gifting. You go into a community, oftentimes, that people tell you not to go to. I remember when I came here. I was an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Redmond. And many of my friends said, don't go to Prineville. It's going to fold up. Les Schwab's leaving and, and, oh man, don't even go there. No, the Lord's calling me. Lord's calling me to do it. We came out here, my wife and I, and we started a home Bible study, and we had four people. And two of them left after about a month. So we had two people, and one of them moved. (laughs) You know? (laughs) That's church planting. 
And when the two people that left, we were having it in their house, so we had to take our few people and go over to the uh, elementary school uh, down on 3rd Street here, Crooked River Elementary, and we met on Thursday nights, and all of a sudden people started coming. But we didn't have anybody to lead worship, so I would get friends, or Andrea and I would sing a cappella, which was brutal. I remember one time I had this guy, and I was like, hey, could you lead worship tonight? He's like, well, I can play guitar, but I can't sing. I go, you can't sing? What, what do you mean you can't sing? He goes, you don't want me to sing. I'm terrible. I go, okay, you play the guitar, I'll sing. I can't sing, but I bet you I'm better than you. So, so he played like four songs. Okay, we probably would have been better off like turning on, you know, the Rolling Stones or something. It was terrible, but we got through it. And, you know, I was there and I put out the food and I made the coffee and I did everything just about. And then people started stepping up and the church started to grow and people started coming. But it's challenging planting a church. That's an apostle. He talks about prophets, this gift of a prophet. Now, again, I don't think the office of a prophet exists today. Now, if you say you're a prophet, I'm not going to argue with you. It's not worth it to me to argue with you about it. But you better be right. If you're going to say some kind of a prophecy that's like foretelling the future, that's like, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen, then you better be right. Because there isn't any like minor league prophet. There's no JV prophet. It's not like, well, I'm working into the varsity role here. You're, you're either right 100% of the time, or it was literal death. And so I don't think the office of a prophet is something we really want to sign up for. Me, me, I want to be a prophet. That You didn't see the Old Testament guys doing that. They weren't waiting in line to be like, oh man, I hope I can become a prophet. It was like God gave them something to say, and they said it. Now we have the Word of God. This is God's completed revelation for us. We don't need the office of a prophet. Now, if people claim to be a prophet, again, I'm not going to argue, but you better be right. And I'm not saying that God can't foretell the future because He doesn't even live in time. There's no future to Him. He, can, he knows everything. He's omniscient. And He could certainly reveal that to somebody. But if He does, He's never wrong. It's never wrong. And so when a person says they're a prophet, and they say they have a prophecy in that way where they're foretelling, I'll receive it, I'll hear it, but it better be right. Or I'll never listen to that person again. Because the Bible is very clear about that. Now, there is, again, the gift of prophecy and the gift of a prophet. And that person is one who forth tells the word of God. Not necessarily foretelling, but forth telling the word of God. They're the kind of people that just say it like it is. They're the kind of people that just it is what it is and you need to accept it. And they're gonna they're gonna tell you what you need to hear oftentimes. They don't beat around the bush. They don't candy coat it. They just say it. That's a prophet. Person that's willing to step on toes. Willing to say, you know what, man? You're living with your girlfriend. You're, you're having sex with her and you're not married. And you need to knock it off. You need to repent. You need to get right with Jesus. 
And some of us aren't willing to do that. Some are like, oh man, you know, maybe we could uh, help you and, and maybe we can, you know, get you a little bed in the back room here. And No, it just needs to be said. And that's a prophet. And you know if you're a prophet and, and, and that's a needed gift in the body. And, and you know, I kind of come by that sort of naturally. I don't know if it's, a, if it's a gift really or if it's just like a family curse. Because in my family, we just say it like it is. There's not a lot of beating around the bush. There's not a lot of candy coating stuff. It's kind of like, you know, hey, you're being stupid. And, but what's funny is, is that my family's very much that way. But then if it's said to us, we're like kind of offended. You know, and, it, and everybody gets their feelings hurt, you know. And they don't talk to each other for like five years. And I've had to grow in that. I've had to grow in that ability to, to be able to handle criticism and handle people prophesying to me as well. But that, that gift of, of a prophet is important. He talks about evangelists. Now evangelists, again, there's sort of this negative connotation because there's a lot of people out there that say they're evangelists and they're, they're not evangelists, they're just weirdos. They, they go from town to town and they whip people into a frenzy and then they leave and they call that evangelism. That's not evangelism, that's a circus. Evangelism is leading people to Jesus, telling people about Jesus. And you know what? Without evangelists, churches die. They just shrivel up because everybody gets old, they collect social security and then they die. And like churches that are just getting older and older and older and nobody is getting saved and being brought into the church, it's, it's a tough deal because we're all going to die. And so people have got to be out there and telling others about Jesus. And man, we need evangelists. Brent is an evangelist. Our youth pastor is an evangelist. He is always telling people about Jesus. Last night I saw him at, at the park that Cafe Butterfly was doing their thing and and, and I pulled up and there was Brent talking to somebody. I don't know who the guy was. Brent probably doesn't, can't even remember his name today probably. But evangelists, you know, they're, they're not big on details. They're, they're, not, they're not often organized. Brent. They're, they're not often organized. They're, they're, they're often not the greatest office guys. They don't answer their phone a lot. But... But, but they love people and they love to tell people about Jesus. And, and that's, that's what evangelists do. And if you are an evangelist, the church needs you. The church needs you to use your gift. You don't need to be a theologian. Most of the time evangelists aren't like theologians. They're not people that, that just know the ins and outs of, of all church dogma. They just know the gospel. Like Karl Barth said at the end of his life, and he was a theologian, this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's an evangelist. And we need evangelists. Then he talks about pastors and teachers, and this is where some controversy exists, because some people say this is two gifts, and so that would make it five leadership gifts. Others say it's one. The Greek really seems to indicate it's one. They're, they're connected. That a teacher sort of represents what a pastor is. 
And this is what I believe. I believe that all pastors teach. Elders, pastors, overseers, they're teachers. But not all teachers are pastors. You can have the gift of teaching and not be a pastor. But I don't believe that you can have the gift of being a pastor or an elder or a shepherd or an overseer and not be a teacher. Now that doesn't mean that you can come up here and, and pretend to you know preach like I do. But it, it might mean that you are really good one-on-one. And that you can sit down with people and you can counsel them. And that's, that's what our elders are here to do. They, they don't get up here and teach too often unless I'm gone, but they are able to teach. They can do that. They, they can cogently and clearly speak God's Word into your life and give you counsel from the Word of God. And that's, that's what it means to be a teacher. And so, pastor, a teacher, those that shepherd God's people, they are necessary for the body. There's several words that you can use for this gift. An overseer, a shepherd, an elder. The word bishop is used. Pastor. And the thing is, you guys, is that I'm not the only pastor in this church. We have several other elders here that have the same role and function that I do. Now, I happen to be the guy that gets paid, the guy that's here all the time. But that doesn't mean I'm the only pastor. doesn't mean I'm the only teacher. That There are several men here who are called to oversee and to help shepherd this body of believers. Jesus is the senior pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us he's the chief shepherd. I really hesitate to use that word senior pastor. I'm not a big fan of it. It's kind of like the CEO mentality. And and I'm not super big on that. I mean, it is what it is, but, you know, I'm a pastor here who who gets to teach, who's called to to lead and and help shepherd. But it's not all about me. And, And that's one thing that I've really been trying to instill in our leaders as you guys. It is, it's not the Ryan show. This is not about Ryan. This is about Jesus. He's the senior pastor of this church. What does he want to do? And I need your, you guys to help me to lead these people that are coming here and to help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so that's the distribution of the gifts. And then, the application of the gifts, verses 12 through 16. We've seen the gifts handed out. Here, the gifts are worked out. Paul mentions those four gifts that are given to the body in verse 11, so that the body might be properly functioning as the body of Jesus Christ as His hands and feet. And when exercised, when those gifts are exercised properly, there are three results that Paul gives us here. First of all, in verse 12, the saints are equipped. Look what he says in verse 12. These things are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
See, we often think that those gifts are given so that we can show up and we can watch them do all of the work. It's kind of like going to the movies or watching a professional athlete. Some of you, I think, have this notion that, that I'm like a, a professional athlete. You're going you're gonna to come and, and you're even willing to pay. You're going to get some popcorn and a soda and you're going to sit there and you're going to watch and then you're going to go home. And that's not the body of Christ. This isn't a spectator sport here. This isn't a movie where we go and for eight bucks we can watch a $300 million film. It's not how it works. This is the body of Christ where we all have a part to play. The saints are equipped as the leaders are using their gifts properly. And when the church is functioning as it should, then the saints are equipped. That means they're built up, edified. They're prepared. They're ready for the work of ministry. Not so they can go get real fat spiritually and sit around and do nothing, but they're prepared for the work of ministry so that the body might be edified and the body might be fulfilled and built up. That is how the church works. The leaders do their job, equipping, and then you are empowered, enabled to go out and use your gifts and to do the work of the ministry, whether it be here at church or out in the community. And both are important. But you have some way in which God wants you to serve Him. And you come here to be equipped, to be built up, to do that. And that's why it's so frustrating when when people come and, and they just look for church to be all about them. Well, nobody talked to me. Nobody said hi to me. Nobody invited me over to their house. That's not church. This isn't a club. You come to church and you say, Hey, how can I serve? Who can I invite? Who can I say hi to? I'm being equipped for the work of the ministry. Now, if you're a visitor here, you're new here, and sit back, kick back for a while. Let God equip you. Let God give you some, some roots in the body. But if you've been here for a year, two years, some people have been here since the very beginning, and they're still just like milking off the, the, the whole deal. And it's just like, what? What are you doing? What, what are you thinking? And you've been walking with the Lord for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and, and you're still just like sniveling and, and having to be force-fed. It's, it's not good. It's not, a good. it's not a good visual picture when you think of like a 21-year-old guy who's still pooping his pants and having to be fed by his mom. That's not, a, that's not, that's not good. We don't, we don't like that. We would think, man, what, what happened? What did you do wrong? And yet, it's totally acceptable in the, in the body of Christ. And it shouldn't be. Saints are equipped so that they can go out and do the work. See, again, this isn't all about the leaders or all about the people that you see working. We talked about it last week, but, but man, you guys come and, and it's very easy to think, well, everything's just being taken care of, but Mark got up here and he told you we need help there. 
There's all kinds of areas that we need help. And it isn't that I'm unwilling to do those things. Because I, I do all sorts of things that maybe aren't in my gifting or, or maybe, you know, wouldn't be like my first choice. I'm always out here picking up cigarette butts. Because, you know, there's a person that smokes that works in one of the buildings here and, you know, just throwing them on the ground. So I'm always out there picking them up or trash. You wouldn't believe the amount of trash that gets built up out here. And nobody else seems to care. It's just like, you know, hey, it's a dump. Just throw it on the ground. So I'm always doing that. I'm always picking up trash. Not not that I'm unwilling to. Not that, that maybe I don't even want to, but I want you guys to use your gifts. I want you guys to be a part of what God's doing here. And so it's not all about me. And again, early on, when we planted this church, I mean, I had my hands in a lot of stuff. And, and you know, for me, my personality, it's kind of hard for me to take my hands off some of those things. Because I can tend to micromanage things. I like things a certain way. It drives me nuts when stuff doesn't come out right. Just ask Stuart. He knows. You know, I like stuff to be perfect. He'll be like, well, what do you think about this? You know, and he, he knows that we're... We're going to want to get it right. We're not just going to slap something together. But I'm having to learn to be like, hey, you know what? That's your deal. Here's some rope. Go hang yourself or or do well. You know, I've got to learn to do that. And it's cool when I see people taking their ministries and running with it. And I love to see all of you guys doing that. That's how the body functions. It was just like that piece of art over there that's hanging on the wall. We bought that this weekend. It's a classic piece of art. Michelangelo's The Creation, it's called. It was on sale at Linens and things, so picked it up. Now, I like to buy stuff, but I'm not handy. So I bought it, and then I set it on the ground over there. And I was like, you know, it, somebody will put it up. Because it just had, like, the two hooks... And it didn't come with the, the wire. No wire. They, they always do that. It's like they don't give you the proper resources to hang the thing on the wall. And so I'm like, that's it's out of my league. You know, there's no way I can measure. On, you know, it's just not going to happen. It won't happen. So I just set it on the ground. Well, Mike Ward came in this morning. Michael Gish came in. Michael Gish had a big level that's like 800 feet long. And a, and a tape measure and a screw gun and screws and bam, it's up. It's great. That's how the body functions. That's the way it should be. What are you called to do? Don't look for Ryan to do it or Sean Jones to do it or, or Kelly or Chad or, or Mark or, or Stuart or any of the other leaders here. Don't look for us to do it. What's God calling you to do? Now, it would probably be a good idea for you to, you know, talk to somebody about it before you just launch out into it. But, you know, let's pray for you. Let's make sure it's the direction we want to go. But, you know, there's some things you don't really need to talk to anybody about. Uh, the toilet's overflowing. You don't, you don't need to be here for a long time to do that. You, you can find a plunger and, and take care of it. Like you don't need to, you know, go through like a discipleship program or anything like that. You know, 
Man, the, the carpets are filthy. Have you noticed how filthy the carpets are? Yeah. Man, I think I'm going to bring down a, a cleaner and get that done. Man, I noticed that the, the, the classes are growing and there's not enough teachers. And, you know, I've been here a little while and I was thinking maybe I could help teach Sunday school. That's awesome. And whenever people come to me and they have ideas, I'm always like, that's a great idea. When are you going to start? Oh, I, I just notice stuff. I, I don't do it. I just notice. I'm a noticer. We're all noticers. That's not a gift. I notice stuff all the time. I mean, I, I notice that, you know, there's, there's buildings in town that could use a little, you know, makeup. But, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to go do it. So what good does it do for me to, you know, say, hey, you ought to clean your building up, you know? I mean, we, we can all notice things, but it's the people that do them that really are being part of the body. He talks about maturity quickly here. Verses 13 through 15. He talks about maturing in our relationship with Jesus. In other words, that when the leadership and the teachers and those that are called to build you up and equip you are doing your job, that you're going to be mature. He talks about unity, that we would come to unity, that there would be a knowledge of Jesus. He talks about becoming more like Jesus. You guys, if I'm doing my job right, the, the way that it will manifest itself is that you will become more like Jesus. That's what he talks about. That you will be stable, grounded, rooted, growing in your walk and relationship with Him. Not like children who change their mind every other minute. He says like children tossed to and fro. Not like a boat that's out in the ocean just being tossed with the waves. And how many believers are like that? They're not rooted. They're not grounded. They can't say with the Apostle Paul, none of these things move me. No, they're moved by everything. Everything moves them. There's no solidity to their life. There's no rooting. There's no grounding. There's no growth. Man, if you're not growing in your relationship with Jesus, first of all, you've got to look in. You've got to say, what am I doing to not allow growth? Maybe there needs to be some change. Maybe there needs to be some change in my life. Maybe I need to get involved in a different ministry. But more than likely, you're not growing because you simply aren't in the Word. That's the bottom line. You're coming here and it's like, it's a spectator sport. And you're, you're listening and you think that's going to sustain you. And it won't. You need to be in the Word personally. Otherwise you won't be growing, as he talks about here, up into all things who is the head Christ. You won't be becoming more like Him. But man, if I'm doing my job, if the other leaders are doing their job, these are the things that will happen. And I love to see you guys maturing. Some of you have been around here a while, and I've gotten to watch you mature. I've been able to see how you respond to things today as opposed to how you would have responded two, three years ago. Some of you four or five years ago. And it's awesome. 
I, I got to see some of you come in and you were just like a little spoiled brat of a Christian. And, and I've got to see you grow and mature and not be so worried about what everybody thinks or what somebody said about you or, or did I get my way. See people step up into ministry. See, see people committing their lives in a radical way. And that's awesome. Some of you aren't maturing. Some of you aren't growing. And that's what the third thing of this application of the gifts, when the leadership is doing their job and the saints are being equipped, the saints are maturing. There's also growth in the body, verse 16. The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And I love that phrase. By what every joint supplies. You see, if we want growth in the body, if we want maturity, if we want the saints to be equipped, every person is doing their part. Do you think about your body? There's, there's not a part of your body that just gets to like hang out and show up. Every part has a function. Think if your thumb just said, you know, I'm tired of being a thumb. I just want to show up. I just want you to tote me around. I don't want to do anything. You know, what if your foot just decided, you know, I'm done. Tired of being a foot. And in a lot of churches, like the mouth has to be the foot. And we can function that way. You can walk on your face. It just doesn't feel that good. And the tongue doesn't really like to hang out on the sidewalk. But it'll do it. And it can survive. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of churches have to function. Because the feet are like AWOL. Where'd the feet go? I don't know. They're gone. Where are the hands? They got ticked and they left. Somebody didn't say hi to them. Somebody didn't tell them how great they were and that the world revolved around them, so they left. Pastor said something that offended them, and you know, he's supposed to be perfect and he never makes mistakes, so they went to another church where they'll realize he does the same thing and they'll leave there too. And that's, that's what happens. And it's just, it's really sad. Because you guys, we're a body. And the body doesn't just get to decide that A, I'm not going to do anything, or B, I'm tired of being this guy's arm, I'm going to go somewhere else. Now there, there are some parts of the body that, that they say we don't need anymore, which always makes me a little leery. Like they just rip your gallbladder out and they're like, yep, you don't need that anymore, throw it away. It's like then, the, you know, I was giving Ron a hard time in the first service, Ron Halverson, because he's getting his gallbladder taken out. That's like, you know, guys get their gallbladders taken out, and then like two weeks later they got some other major thing, and it's like, I don't know, is not a, you know, is that a coincidence? You know, they just take your appendix out. We don't need them. I wonder about that, but I mean, obviously you can survive without it. Maybe those pieces, the appendix, the gallbladder, maybe that's the part of the body that that isn't saved. You know, you don't, you don't really need them. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it is. But I, I'll say this, that every part has a function. Every part has a function. 
And you need to figure out what that is. And it will be natural. It will be easy. You'll just slide right in. And it'll be like, wow, this is cool. I'm energized by this. I'm not like totally bummed by this. I am energized by it. And so there's growth in the body. And that's what I want to close with as he says there at the end of verse 16, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. You guys, body growth, both spiritually and numerically, when the church is functioning properly, there will be growth. There will be growth in you personally. You need to be growing. If you're not growing, then you're going backwards. If you're not closer to Jesus today than you were a year ago, then you're further away from Him. And the only reason you're not closer to Him is because you don't want to be. You simply don't want to be. There will be growth in your life personally. And if you're not growing and you've been coming here a while and you're just like, man, I'm not growing, maybe, maybe you need to find another place. Maybe this isn't the place. If you're not growing. I would venture to say it's probably your fault. But maybe, maybe you need to find another place. I don't know. But you should be growing. And you aren't growing if you're not in the Word. You can't come here and receive from me and think that's going to be enough. You need to be in the Word personally. Daily. Hearing from the Lord. But then there will also be growth numerically in the church. And in a small town like Prineville, it's not going to happen overnight. And the way that we do ministry, it's not going to happen overnight. Because I probably, you know, run more people out the door than, than we do invite them in, you know. But, because people are like, what did he just say? <laughs> you know, but it... So I'm sorry, if you bring in your friends and they don't want to come back, I don't know what to say. But, uh, you know, the church will grow. And we are growing. Today is not real indicative of that. But we are growing. We're growing numerically. People are getting saved. People are giving their lives to Jesus. People's lives are being transformed. And it's because healthy sheep reproduce. You get a male and a female sheep together, and it's like, boom. you got lambs. You don't have to teach them. They just do it. Healthy sheep reproduce. Healthy Christians reproduce. It's just natural. You get them together and they lead people to Jesus and it's really cool. And you go, how'd you lead that guy to Christ? You don't even you know, know anything yet. I don't have to be taught. I just shared the love of Jesus and what He's done. And man, it's... It's an amazing thing, and that's what's happening. And it will continue to happen if you will be a part of that. If you'll step up and say, God, you've graced me. You've given me something to use. And I want to use it so that the body can function properly. Because I'm tired of seeing the body walking around on its face. I want to be the feet. And maybe... Maybe you need to step into some of those roles that you see are missing and are AWOL. God is allowing you to notice because He's calling you to fill the need. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info 
at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.